You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We have been making our way through the Bible. Uh, we're in a series called Binge Reading the Bible. We are in week six. Last week, my dad brought the message on the Gospels, looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this week, we are diving in to the epistles. Now, the epistles are these letters written by folks to churches. So Paul wrote a majority of the letters. You got a couple from Peter and from James and and some others. But what's so interesting about the gospels and then the epistles is oftentimes people kind of put them at odds of each other. Meaning that there will be some folks that like, oh man, I, I love the Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the the Jesus that Paul portrays or that Peter kind of outlines in his text, I don't really know if I like that Jesus as much. And, and, and I hear that, I recognize that. I even, I even had a pastor friend of mine one time, he planted a church and for the first couple of years uh, planting the church, he wanted to only walk through the Gospels. And he didn't really want to touch much else because he wanted the people to know who Jesus was. And, and hopefully, if you've been watching or uh, involved in these services, what you have learned is that the entire canon, the entire point of Scripture, all 66 books, exist to point us to Jesus. If you go back to the Pentateuch and the Book of the Law, and even in creation, you can see the Messiah's reign coming soon. You can see Him being foretold. And you go to the wisdom literature, or you go to the histories, or you go to the prophets, you should all see the glorious picture of the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And so when we kind of put the Gospels at odds of the epistles, what we're doing to some degree is we're saying we like one version of Jesus better than the other, and we're kind of casting out maybe some aspects and some characteristics of Jesus that maybe we don't like as much. Maybe the ones that call us out on our sin as opposed to the ones that kneel down and play with the little children. Maybe some of the ones that draw us nearer to hard things as opposed to the ones that we might get a picture of where Jesus just says, hey, grace and mercy. But I think what the great picture of Scripture is, is that God calls us into the deep and as well as into the shallow. The great picture is that God, throughout all 66 books, has ordained His story to be told to you and to me, and we are then to take that story to the world. And so we can't just choose what books we like. We can't be like Thomas Jefferson who took the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Gospels and excluded Jesus' miracles because they didn't really fit our system. What we need to do is take the whole picture of God's Word together. And in case you're wondering how much maybe the epistles valued Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, what you need to recall is that Paul actually quotes from the Gospel of Luke. When he's writing his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, this is Paul writing to a young leader who's leading a church in Ephesus. He says, Let the elders rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For those Scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it tre- treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wage. Now what's interesting is when Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, what he does is he quotes two different places in Scripture. 
The first place, he quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4. It says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. But then the second place is Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He says, the laborer deserves his wage. And so for any of those who maybe debate about, oh, when was this Scripture written or when was that Scripture written, what we can see from Paul's writing to Timothy is that first off, he had already read Luke's Gospel because he quotes directly from it. The second thing it also does is it gives us uh, a picture of the value that Paul would place on the inspired and errant Word of God. Paul quotes both from the book of the law and from one of the Gospels. And so when we read the epistles, what we are reading is the inerrant, inspired Word of God to people, to you and to me. And so these letters exist to help us look at the whole picture of Scripture again, and that is Jesus. And so they aren't working at odds. No, they are working together. The epistles are are real letters written by real people to real people working through real issues. And what we need to remember is that God, through these people, is showing us how to apply the theological concepts that maybe we learned through watching the Messiah walk this earth. When Paul writes his big theological treatise in Romans, and many believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, what we see is all of these deep theological concepts that show us how God works and who God is, but what we can often forget is that those letters were written so that they could then apply those theological concepts to their life. Paul and Peter and James and John and others were not looking to just put together these texts so that you and I could become Bible thumpers and bury our heads in the Scripture. No, they wrote them so that we could be a better unified body of Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is this idea that Jesus is at the center of all things, and we need to look at Him in such a way. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have one for you down front. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We believe and value the Word of God, so I want to encourage you to open it with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Before I read this, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's happening here. So, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is a a, a bustling community of people. It's a thriving community. And so Paul is is really writing this letter to them to show them how to worship. Here's how you are, are to live your life. Here's how you are to gather. Here's how you are to express your spiritual gifts as he talks about, and that's exactly where we're going to pick up. In in verse 12, the preceding chapter, he's kind of showing them what it means to be a member of a church. Here's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And then he, he begins to kind of talk about what it means to use your gifts and function well together. And then he gets to a paramount text, a text that if you've been to a wedding, you likely have read. If you've been to Hobby Lobby and walked through the family or love section, you've probably read this text. But what's important to remember is that this text 
comes at the center of the church for Paul. It comes at the center of you and I understanding how we connect with each other, how we connect with God, and ultimately how we then go out in the world and connect with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clangy cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, we, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. And these three, but the greatest of these is love. The movie that we're looking at this morning is Kung Fu Panda. And it's the story of a panda named Po who's kind of on this journey of life trying to figure out what he's destined to, what, what, what's out there for him. And Poe is looking for something greater than what he's currently doing, and what he's currently doing is working in his dad's noodle shop. And he has these big cosmic dreams of being the hero of the world and very much being a martial arts expert, but yet he finds himself not looking the part, not being the part, and obviously working in a noodle shop, maybe not serving the part. And if you fast forward through the movie, what you'll find is that Poe eventually gets an opportunity to work with the greatest martial arts experts of his time, and he is called into this kind of prophecy where he's going to be the great martial arts expert. He's going to be the person who, who saves all things. He's, he's going to be this amazing Savior. Poe is going to be the dragon master. Now, the dragon master is this thing foretold, this prophecy foretold, where he will become the greatest martial arts expert that's ever been. And there was this prophecy, this scroll written for the dragon master. And really, the whole movie is about Poe trying to you know, win himself into this position to be the dragon master. But yet, there's opposition, as in any great story there always is. And this bad guy is believing that he is the dragon master. And so the whole aim of the movie is to get to this dragon scroll so it will un unveil all secrets known to mankind and the dragon warrior can then become all that he is meant to be. And you fast forward to the end and there's a battle between Poe and the bad guy. And the bad guy eventually opens the dragon scroll and finds that there's nothing there. The scroll is empty. 
And perplexed, he cries out, what is wrong? And Poe gets it in that moment. Poe understands that in that moment, it isn't the scroll that made the man the dragon master. He had it all along. As my dad mentioned last week, talking about perception and the way we see things, what's interesting is if we were to read the epistles from a perspective of looking for something that maybe isn't there, then maybe we would never find it. Maybe we would never understand exactly what Paul and these other writers were trying to get us to see, but if we were to look at it from a perspective of Jesus. Looking at it through the, the lens of Jesus, trying to see what God would have us do with these letters, then maybe there's some truth there. Now, I'm not telling you to read into something into this book because I think the books speak for themselves. What I'm saying is, oftentimes we can go looking for something and we're blinded. It's almost like before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. And the great symbolic picture that we have is that God removed the scales from his eyes so that he could see the glorious picture of God. It's almost as if we have something over our eyes and over our face that's hiding this glorious truth. And what we need to do is we need to dive into the truth of Scripture, understanding that Jesus is at the center of all things. So let's go back to our text. Paul's writing to them to try to get them to learn how to function and how to be great people. And he talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about you know, having prophetic words. But if all of that is not done in love, then what is it? It's for naught. Think about all of the great spiritual gifts and givers that have happened out in the world. The evangelists, the, the great preachers. There's been preacher after preacher in the last several years that had had a great spiritual gift of the proclamation of God's Word, had shepherding God's people, but yet they did things without love. And they fell. There's a phenomenal podcast on right now about a pastor named Mark Driscoll. This pastor was one that I followed for many years. He's a solid man of God in so many ways. Phenomenal preacher, but in so many ways, he messed up. And he didn't always do things in love. Now, I can't speak to where he is now, and I can't speak to his heart of even when he was when he was doing some of these things, but the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is a podcast that my wife and I have been listening to, and what it brings to point is this reality that you can be a gifted leader, you can be a gifted persona, you can have all of the gifts that God has given you that make you you, but if you do not have them in love, then what do you have? Pastor Mark would fail at Mars Hill and be asked to step down as their leader because he did not do things in love. And he's a public person. And his, sometimes his image and maybe even his pride got in his way in some of his own words. And so what Paul is pointing us to in this opening paragraph is to say that let the gifts that you have be a service unto the Lord in love. And then he talks about being patient and being kind and, and, and don't be envious and boastful. Don't be arrogant or rude. Don't be, uh, resi- don't be resentful or irritable. How many of us struggle with some of those things? You know, when, when somebody's getting on your nerves, do you show them love or do you let them know that they're getting on your nerves? I think Paul would have us look at some of the people in our life and say, Jesus loves you, so I should love you too. 
Jesus was patient. I'm going to be patient too. And he tells us to go back to love. He tells us to look towards Jesus. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And before you get on a too much of a tangent, this believes all things isn't a, a, uh, an excuse to then go believe whatever you want and have a universal picture of theology or of the Lord. No, this believes all things is kind of believing in love good things. So when somebody does you wrong or appears to do you wrong, do you give them grace or mercy? Do you assume the best or do you assume the worst? Do you believe all things? Do you believe them to be doing good things? Do you believe to be doing things for them or things for you that would be beneficial? It says love never ends. As for prophecies, and this is one of those big theological concepts right here, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Why? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. We're in the in-between right here. It's the already but not yet. We have been made new and alive in Christ, but yet our flesh is still failing. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes again, His second return, or His second coming, His return, the partial will pass. This dead flesh will no longer be a hindrance. And then Paul makes a reference like he makes so oftentimes about growing up, being mature in the faith. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Jesus came in the Gospels to show us who God is. He is the the tangible expression of God, is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. But see, in these letters, in these epistles, what God has then done through these great men is He's then given us a way and an example to take these theological concepts and this understanding of who God is that we can get from the previous Old Testament books as well as the Gospels and even Acts. And we can build off of those. How do we take these theological concepts, these understandings of Jesus, and make them work in our lives? Here's how we do it. We keep Jesus at the center. We don't look for an empty scroll to give us the answer. We look at the scroll that points us back to Jesus. That is the scroll of the epistles. We look towards Jesus. And so will you make Jesus at the center of all things? Or will you continue to be looking in an empty scroll? Will you continue to look for an answer that maybe God's already put inside of you? Scripture has said that He has made it clear to all men and all women, that He reigns victorious. And so are we still looking in other areas for scrolls in life to give us answers? Or will we look to God for the answer? These epistles teach us great theological truths. And then they point us to Jesus and say, here's how you apply it. And so today, in closing, what I want to challenge you to do is to not look at things from a perspective of, let's look at your day. Don't look at your day from a perspective of, man, what do I have to accomplish today? Maybe we were to look at the day of, man, what would God have me do today? What would God do through me today? Am I open for His work? Or am I too busy functioning in the gifting that He's given given me without the giver right beside me? I'm functioning in the gifting, but neglecting the giver. The gifting is for the purpose of the giver. 
And so church, I would encourage you to lean into what God has for you today. Maybe for some of you in the room, it's to give your life to Jesus. Through the declaration of God's word, maybe this morning you've heard that all people were created and then we fell from God through sin. We disobeyed God. But then through the gospel's accounts, what we see is that Jesus came to squash the sin. Jesus came and He absorbed God's wrath on Himself as opposed to us receiving it. And then we repent, acknowledge that we've fallen, and put faith in Jesus. And His blood covers us, atones for the work. And then you will become a new creation in Christ, walking in His statutes. Maybe you're there this morning and you need to pray a prayer. and Just say, God, I repent and I believe in You. I'd encourage you to find one of our elders or staff in the room to talk with them this morning. Or maybe you're somebody who's going, man, I've been neglecting the gift. I'm not serving anywhere in the church. I need to find somewhere to let my gift shine. Maybe you don't know your gifting. And so maybe you need to find one of our, our staff or our elders and talk about spiritual gift tests and kind of unpack what that means for you. But either way, I would just say that maybe having a seat at the table of Piedmont is part of being a servant here at Piedmont, pushing away from the table for a time and saying, how can I serve? Can I get involved in the worship team in the, in the next-gen area, in the ushers, in, in some other fashion? How are you serving at Piedmont? And maybe you're saying, I, I've been functioning in the gift, but I've been ignoring the giver. It's time for you to go back to the text and remember that Paul is calling us to remember love. And if you're Go to 1 John. You can't know love unless you know God. And so neglecting love is neglecting God. And neglecting God is neglecting the giver. And so your gifting isn't functioning the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be functioning and you're gifting for the giver. So maybe you need to get your heart right. Maybe it's repent. Maybe it's come down front of this next song we're going to sing here in a minute. And you, you just repent. and You just lay your heart out. Maybe... It's a moment where you say, I'm going to stay at my chair and i got to get my heart right. And when I leave this service, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to call that person that maybe I've done wrong or I'm going to call the person I'm neglected because I've, I, I, I've been angry about something. Because positionally, you might be seated right with Christ because you're a Christian. But where are you relationally? Are you pointing back to the giver in all things? So whether you, whatever you are, wherever you are this morning, let me pray for you. God, I pray that we will look upon the face of the giver. That we'll look upon your good face and we will recognize the truth that you have for us. That you have called us out of the darkness and into the light. And that your letters that you have ordained and inspired through these amazing faithful apostles were not just written to us to give us something in juxtaposition of the Gospels, but rather to shed light on how we then apply the truths that You taught us and how we connect some of the Old Testament thoughts and how we, some of the Old Testament rituals and laws and how we connect them to Jesus and then how that fully functions today in the New Testament church. And God, I pray that we will be a church that always stands on love. Not a love that the world defines, but a love that You define. Not all love is love. 
God, you have clearly and explicitly defined love in your word. And Lord, I pray that we will stand by that word. And sometimes that means speaking the truth in love. Sometimes it means mercy. Sometimes it means turning the other cheek. But God, I pray that we will be a people that looks through life through the lens of Jesus. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.